This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. We, um, I, I really enjoyed uh, Spurgeon's lectures to his students. It was just like a bunch of essays that he put together that came from a curriculum at his, uh, where he trained pastors, basically. And so he was very particular about like even who he let in to, uh, to like, there's no way I could, I would not be admitted into his. <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. But he's dead now and I can read his lecture. So, <laughs> so I'll still learn from him. Uh, he said uh, in one of those things, he said, people ask me like, what are you gonna preach on this Sunday? And he, he says with all seriousness, how do I know what the Holy Spirit is gonna do a week from today? And he is very anti like, plans for like how to, you know, we map out like we're after that, we have a couple of weeks uh, of sort of this living in the, the space of Spurgeon of not making any plans. So this week and next week, and then now I already, now I have a plan. So we back up a plan, but, and then we're gonna jump back into Isaiah and where we've sort of mapped out uh, all of our sermons for uh, the rest of the year after that. But I say that to, to just say intentionally, I drop some blank spots on the calendar uh, throughout the year. And I don't just do it to make Cole a little nervous. <laughs> you know, I say, I get a team's message, like, what are you thinking for you know, this thing? And I'm like, here's, you know, in our elder meetings, I threw some things out and got some discussion from them and then spent some time praying about it and, and reading and just, you know, I don't, I, I wish I could say I, I opened up and the, the, the text of the passage like illuminated in front of me and I was like, this is how I know. Uh, what we should preach on, but I, I, ha- I have been, uh, some topics have been kind of mulling over in my head, and, um, you know, even just little God drops little hints, and, and you know, he, he is providentially working all things according to his purposes, and, and it was just even encouraging to hear uh, Lauren say this morning, like, what a, a appropriate topic for the moment, and um, just, there's this little kind of bits and pieces from the Lord like that, where you think, you know what, maybe God is, is in this. Maybe God is here. This is where he's moving. This is where he wants us to consider. This is what he kind of wants us to, to dwell on this morning. So we're going to talk uh, today and probably next week about the, the power of grace and the problem of the law. The power of grace and the problem of the law. And this morning, we're going to basically be in Romans chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up. If you don't have a Bible, we have one on the table back there. But if you have your Bible open up to Romans chapter 3, that's where we're going to be for the most part. If I jump off somewhere else, I have at least one Bible verse from somewhere else that will be on the screen. But this morning, um, yeah, we're going to talk about the power of grace. And I think that will kind of tee up things to consider the problem of, of the problem of the law. So let me pray for us, and then we'll... We'll jump in and see how God uses this this morning. Father, um, I'm so thankful that you are so good, that you are so wonderful. Um, again, I'm reminded of what Lauren said. We um, There's probably a lot of us who come here um, either thinking of what we need to accomplish or bemoaning what didn't happen um, and everything in between. Lord, we 
grieve that we fall short of your glory. We grieve that we fall short of standards that we impose upon ourselves. We, um, yeah, we're just bent towards measuring and considering ourselves in light of anything other than your grace. Lord, I pray this morning as we just consider the wonder and the majesty and the glory and the just the unconsiderable nature of your righteousness and the fact that you freely give it to us. Lord, I pray that grace would be powerful this morning. Lord, impress upon us the wonder and majesty of your character, but it would also genuinely humble us so that we could be in the right posture to have a real genuine sense of your presence. So I thank you for this morning. In your name I pray, amen. Grace is uh, kind of just one of those Bible words, you know. Um, you could find lots of books about it. Um, find tons of sermons about it. But I think a simple way to consider just the idea of grace, and we're not going to dig deep into where we get this definition from, a simple way to think about the idea of grace is undeserved favor. Favor that you don't deserve. Undeserved favor. Some people call it demerited favor. Like, it's not even that you don't deserve it. You've done the opposite things, and you still get this favor. You still get this goodness. You still get this, uh, the grace that comes from God. When, when you're doing things to not even deserve what he continues to give to us. It's undeserved favor. So what is that favor that God has given us that we don't deserve. When we talk about grace, when we talk about the, that we, it's something that's given to us, it's, it's, a, it's a disposition of God, it's a, it's, a, it's a favor that comes from God, it's a, a consideration and a care for you when you're doing things that he shouldn't actually care for you. What is it then that he graces us with? What do we actually receive? I think in Romans, one way to put this is that grace is his righteousness in space and time. Grace is the, the transcendent glory and goodness, the, the beauty and the fellowship between the Father, Son, and Spirit, the satisfaction of, of perfect love between our triune God, separate from space and time, existing through all eternity. Grace is that righteousness coming down into space and time. Amen. Look at what Paul says in chapter three, verse 21. Now, uh, Kent graciously reminded us of some of the bad news from Romans one, two, uh, and 
he didn't go into the depth of that, but the, the first few chapters of Romans are just reminding us that no matter where you come from, no matter what uh, pedigree you have, no matter how you have the ability to do this or that, regardless, he says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. No one seeks after God. No one is able to bridge that gap between what's happening in space and time and the glory and the goodness and the majesty of the transcendent God beyond us. And then he says in verse 21, preachers often make talk about the glorious buts. <laughs> but, all that's bad stuff, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The righteousness of God. Although the law and prophets bear witness to this, and then again, 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God. Grace is the undeserved favor. It's the, it's the beauty and the glory and the transcendence and the majesty and the love and the goodness and all of that wrapped up in the righteousness of God stepping into time and space for you. It's also the culmination of everything that God has been communicating to us across, as Voss would say, redemptive history. Look at what he says. It's the, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. From Genesis to Malachi, God has been consistently communicating this need for his righteousness to step into space and time. Ever since Adam and Eve decided to eat the fruit, and if you're my kid flipping through the book, it's always an apple. Probably wasn't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Ever since things were broken and and we were separated from God. We were cast out of the garden and everything just kind of crumbles from there. Every single step of the story, every little thing that is happening through Israel, through David, through Abraham, through all the kings, through exile, through the prophets, through the wisdom literature, all of these things are communicating to us, are, are manifesting the reality that we need the righteousness of God to come back into space and time and be with his people. And you and I understand how God did that. You and I know that, that we got to see with our, with our eyes. We, got to, we get to experience that sort of abstract idea of the transcendent glory and goodness of God because it shows up in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 
I'm going to make this statement a little more directly. That for God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, the same, the same God who spoke our experience of reality into existence has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Amen. And I want to sit on that for a second. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Who can ascend to the transcendent space that is the God that we worship? You know, I think that's the funny story in Genesis. Like, they're like, let's build a tower up to God, you know? And we're like, we've been on the moon, you know? It's like a lot farther. So it's just, you read that story and you're like, ha, 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 you know? <laughs> like, you can't even take it seriously. <laughs> but that's what we do. We build things, we do things, we work, we put forth effort. We can, we can say that we're bummed about X, Y, Z because it, our deepest need, our deepest desire is to have the very presence of God himself. Is, is to feel his approval. We were designed to worship him. And because of the fall that's been broken and we're separate from him. So now there's a chasm between what we experience in this world and that joy and that fullness and that goodness and that righteousness that we need from the very transcendent God. And so we're regularly building our little babbles and doing and trying and working so that we can, we can have a sense of being fulfilled. And we can't be fulfilled apart from the righteousness of God because that's what we were designed for. Like that's where we were meant to be fulfilled. He will be our God and we will be his people. So because we can't get up there, we need the same power and authority that spoke things into existence. We need that same God who said, let light shine out of the darkness now to do the same thing in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Like we need that to see his nature, to see his character, to see the righteousness of God. We need him to speak and act and reveal himself to us. And he does that in the face of Jesus Christ. Grace, undeserved favor. It's his righteousness most definitely, most clearly, most beautifully revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God, the transcendent beauty and glory and majesty of Father, Son, and Spirit revealed to you, coming down and entering into your space and time. That's, the, that's what you get. That's the favor you have from God that you are working against on every front. He's revealing his majesty and his glory and his beauty to you in Jesus Christ. And using the same power to do that in space and time that he used to make space and time. 
I say that it's his righteousness in time and space. It's, let's kind of keep walking through this verse. I like where he says, verse 24. Well, we'll do 23. Reminds us of the bad news. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We, we, can't, uh, we can't achieve it on our own or bring it down. There's nothing we can do to, to take hold of that glory and that majesty. He has to create it and reveal it to us. And we're, we're justified. We're, we're made right with God by his grace as a gift. It's interesting. The, the, the idea of grace as a gift, you, it's, it seems like you're almost uh, the undeserved thing as a gift. <laughs> he, he, he's like piling on. He's saying this, this thing, this favor that God has for you as a gift, and he's gonna go on to explain this. It's, it doesn't cost anything. Like, there isn't any, like, associated string attached to this gift, this grace that he's giving you. It wouldn't be grace, then. It would be of works. So he's kind of, like, doubling down and saying, this is, this is something that God has given you that costs you absolutely nothing through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And redemption is a, is a weighty word that, that there was cost involved there. That's where the cost was involved. That's where the real work was done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had to purchase you, redeem you. It was a gift to you. It cost you nothing because he had to rescue you out of and it had to cost him something. So he's saying through the redemption of Jesus Christ, whom God put forward is a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And we won't get too deep into that, but it's this idea that as we fall short of the glory of God, we owe him our lives. We owe him that glory. We owe him obedience because he created him for that. We ought to praise and honor and give thanks to God. And we don't regularly. That's part of that tug when we think about our week or we look at forward at the, the things that we have to accomplish or the, the ways we have to demonstrate the glory of God in the, in the parts of our lives that God has called us to, whatever that is. You know, putting a wall together, raising a child, scheduling, you know, whatever it is we're thinking about or, or we're concerned as we look forward, we're like, oh no, you know, like it's gonna be difficult and we're gonna struggle because we're gonna fail. That's why it weighs on us. Like there should, we, like God needs his pound of flesh because we failed. We know that deep down. We know that we failed him. And he's saying that, yes, the failure deserves, there should be, that should be dealt with, but it is dealt with. Jesus's blood is what propitiated, what satisfied that. So when we drop the ball, or when we, did, when we think about the ball that we dropped or, or whatever is stressing us out, it's not changing God's disposition towards us because it's already been propitiated. It's already been satisfied. We don't have to feel the weight and the guilt of what we did or didn't do. It doesn't change that God wants to give you his righteousness in space and time. 
doesn't change that in and through Jesus Christ as you trust him, that he wants to pour out his love towards you. Halfway through verse 25, he says, kind of gives us like a, a, a purpose statement. And this sort of is, is wrapping up a little bit of this first point that his grace is his righteousness in space and time. He says, this was to show, like all of this stuff that Jesus did, this was to show God's righteousness. This was to show God's righteousness. The gospel was designed to see the glory and majesty of God. Because in his divine forbearance in the past, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. It was to show his righteousness right now. So that you could get a sense of that. So that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul describes it in other places as a mystery. And I want to I want to camp on this just for a little bit. And we won't go back through all of the the previous verses. Things weigh on us. Things stress us out. Because we know we don't deserve what God has given us. Like we're not doing this right. I'm not doing this right. listening to uh, someone share a story kind of just about a conversation between two people and they were debating like whether the motive for moving forward in this particular situation was like selfish or godly. Like why am I, why am I doing this? And this lady who was helping this gentleman like wrestle with this question looks at him and says, this is, this is someone who has taught the Bible for a long time, who has affected many people's life. Just a, a super gracious, you know, like, you know, when you're around certain people and you're like, oh, these people are just like rest, you know? They're just like a joy. Just like not stressful. They just like have a, a sense about them that they are genuinely abiding and resting in the glory of God. And it's just like fun to be around those people. And this person's like spinning and they're like, well, I don't, is this like a selfish thing I'm doing or is this something that's like honoring God? Like, And this is what she said. She said, I've never had a motive in my life that's honoring God. 
that's purely to honor God. I've never, had, I've never done something in my entire life that's genuinely and purely just honor God. That's true of you and true of me. Our hearts are so desperately wicked. We're so tainted by sin in our thinking and our feeling and our understanding that you and I have never in any moment loved God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You don't. And we kind of know that. And so because we know that and we don't want to think about that, we try to find other things that we can grab onto and say, ah, but this. I felt so close to God until I failed here. Or I'm worried in this situation, I'm going to respond this way. But if I wouldn't have responded this way, I would have been, been able to stand before God as holy and pure and clean. Was the implication of what we're saying. And I think it's because when we, we think about the, we, I mean, I'll reframe this a little way. When we think about the righteousness of God, it's like a scale. And it's like here, and when we do certain things, we're like, okay, okay, okay. Dang, I'm close. I'm pretty close. And, you know, Steve is not as close. Or like, oh, I did this thing. I'm like back over here again. So now that's a bummer. Oh, I did, you know, now I'm at the drums. And, and we, we have this like sliding scale of righteousness. And depending on what's going on, we feel like closer to God because we're doing, you know, we've done the things. Oh, and then we really hope that person could get up here with me a little bit because they're, you know, they're causing problems all over the place. Or, or we're like, we feel, or we feel like we can't even see. It's like, if only we could get there. It just, and I think that we think that way because it comes from a complete misunderstanding of the righteousness of God. We are measuring the goodness and greatness and glory of the transcendent God, the, the perfect unity between Father, Son, and Spirit. We're measuring it with the things around us. And, and Paul is trying to say, no, this is something that has to come from outside of space and time. This is something that's beyond your ability to comprehend. You, you genuinely cannot wrap your head around the glory and the goodness and the righteousness of God. You can't look to anyone around you and say, oh, it's kind of like that. Or, oh, it's almost over here. It's completely outside. And he steps in and says, that's what I want to give to you. You don't deserve it. And you can't even get close to achieving it. That's the grace of God. So when you start to compare with yourself or with your neighbor, you've already missed the boat. You've stopped looking at the grace of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. That's coming from outside of space and time. That's beyond what we could comprehend. And you've flipped it around and you're looking at a righteousness that's only of this world. And that, that righteousness is a little babble tower you're building saying, I think I can get to God. <laughs> I think I can achieve Grace is his righteousness in time and space. 
So then what does it have the power to do? Grace is a destroyer of self. Grace is a destroyer of self. Think about that. You can't get it. (laughs) You can't build it high enough. You can't put the standard and creep towards it. You can't. What you need, if if we say we want to be formed by God, we want to demonstrate the character of Jesus Christ. He's asking you to demonstrate something that you can't actually get to and achieve or access on your own. You can't. So when we begin to realize what God is genuinely giving us, the grace that he wants to, the, this disposition that he has towards you, this love that he has towards you, this, 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 the favor he wants to bestow on you of his righteousness, it takes everything you can do, everything you might accomplish, everything you thought was wonderful, and it destroys it. Destroys it. This is what he says in verse 27. Like if you're coming to grips with what God is gifting you, then the question is, what becomes of our boasting? Like, like what are we... What are, we excited, what are we excited about? What do I have to contribute to this? I like what, I don't have this on the slide, but I like what um, Calvin said when he talks about this passage right here. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, he says, he, he says the, the su- like speaking of the past verses, he says, for on this subject about how grace is sort of destroying our, our, our view of ourselves, he goes, on this subject, to teach us would not have been enough. He, he, he says, like, if you just follow the logic of the last couple of verses, you would understand that we have nothing to boast of. So he says, this next verse, the one we're reading, it was necessary that the Holy Spirit should loudly thunder in order to lay prostrate our loftiness. It was necessary that the Holy Spirit should loudly thunder so that we would be humbled. So that any view of our righteousness would be destroyed. And that's what he says. What becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. <laughs> like, out. And in this next section, he's like, wait, 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 wait. How, how, why? 
It's like by what kind of law? He's almost like saying like, what, what, what principle removes all of the goodness in, that we are able to produce? What, what takes me out of the picture? Is it, is it because of, of works? Like, am I not, is it just because I'm not good enough? And he goes, no, it's the law of faith. He's saying it's because you're trusting in something. Faith, belief, trust, those are all sort of in the same definition range of that word. It's because you're trusting in something that you don't see around you that you can't measure up to. You're trusting in something beyond what you're, who you are. And if you genuinely see the grace of God as his righteousness coming down into space and time, if you really see it for what it is and you have, you have faith in that, you're not gonna stand up and boast because you recognize that what you have to contribute is nothing compared to what God is demonstrating, what God is graciously giving to you. He's not just showing it off. He's, he is giving it to you in the person of Jesus Christ. I want us to, I want to do a little exercise. Uh, we can thank C.S. Lewis for it, or we can curse him after it, depending on how, how you feel about it. But he, he says that pride is essentially the big, He's like, pride is the sin of all sins. Pride is the sort of the center of our rebellion against God. And as grace is stepping in to show us that everything we want to accomplish, everything we need, everything we're achieving and aiming for, grace is stepping in saying, let me show you righteousness from God. Our pride gets in the way of that. Like we, we, start, to, we start to conflict a little bit there. And I think when you think about pride, um, yeah, there are moments where I'm like, oh, dang, pride is rearing its ugly head, you know? Um, now I'm like, do I say? Because that just gives me the chance to be prideful again. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, I'll just say, and you can pray for me. <laughs> Finishing my race this summer was like a moment of that, you know? Just like, oh, better than I thought, you know, feeling good about myself, you know, and also uncomfortable about myself because I felt so good about myself. So this is like weird. And I think they're just like, we think of these big moments in our, in our life where we're like, ooh, yeah, you know, I was prideful there. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, well, no, we have a good test. We have a good test to know how prideful we are. He goes, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me? How much do I dislike it when other people refuse to take notice of me? Or one that really grinded at my gears. How much do I dislike it when other people patronize me? Or show off? How much do I dislike it when other people show off? Oh, I got so upset a couple days ago. I mean, I don't know, Bridget will remember. A car was driving by and almost hit us. And like, I stopped. They just blew through a stop sign and they were like, I was like, you just blew a stop sign and almost hit me. You know, let's go. I want to get out of the car right now and be like, you blew the stop sign. Pride. My righteousness is here and yours is over here. I want to show you. Then he says, this one hurt more. 
He goes, well, some of us are like, I don't, you know, who cares what people think, you know, right? Well, I'm never going to see that person in the car again. Mean mug me, fine, eh, you know? <laughs> because when you delight wholly in yourself, when you're so into yourself and do not care about praise at all, you have reached the bottom. When you're so into yourself that people's opinion of you doesn't matter at all, that's the worst place to be. He talks about people who like to be praised. He says, they value other people enough to want to look at them. You are, in fact, still human. Ouch. If you don't care about what other people think, you dehumanize them. That's a worse prideful place to be. He said the real black diabolical pride comes when you look down on others so much that you do not care what they think of you. That stung a little bit the first time I read it. And I'm like going through and regretting all the times and say, well, I don't care what they think. <sighs> oh, it's because I was actually caring about the glory and majesty of God. <laughs> but there's a place for that. And he caveats all this in the chapter. But the gist is, we don't really have a sense of our need because of pride. We don't really have a sense of the goodness, the righteousness of God that's been graced to you because we think too highly of ourselves. We're looking at this scale in the world of how good I could be, am compared to, was, will be. And grace comes in and says, demonstrates the righteousness of God in a way that I can't demonstrate, in a way that I can't show you. It's an incomprehensible thing, but it's what God does. God does it. He's the one that steps in. He's the one that has grace to do it. He's the one that shows you in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at the beauty and the majesty and the glory of who I am. This is what I'm giving you. God is asking us Paul is pleading with us to look for that and trust in the righteousness of God not ourselves and here's what I think thinking through some of like how do I what do I grab onto here? How do I? I think first, if, if you have a sense of the gap, if you have the sense of the goodness and the grace, if you, if you have a sense of your lack and the fact that, uh, as Calvin said, God is thundering this truth to lay prostate our pride, like just put us to the ground. I really, if that's where you're at, I think that is the 
place to begin to appreciate and have a sense of the glory and majesty of God. That's where God meets us. When, when our pride gets out of the way, when we stop trying to build our own Babel, when we stop comparing to other people, and we really get a sense of what God is giving to us in his grace. That's the beginning, I think, of genuinely being formed by God. By God. Not by what Aaron has to say, not by your Bible study in the morning, not by this book that you read that has the right things to do, but that's where you really begin to be formed by the genuine and real presence of God. Because he's the only one that can do that. He's the only one that can really break you of yourself and show you what he wants to give you. So if you were humbled by that, awesome. (laughs) This is God at work to draw you nearer to him. I think the, the other thing if this is true, if this is the if it's the face of Jesus Christ where is the uh the space in which we can begin to see what God has given to us. I think genuinely that should encourage us to want to know more. Like God is God has revealed so much about who He is. This is why we generally have a plan and walk through scripture. This is why we're called Emmaus Church is because Jesus is saying, look, I'm everywhere. I, I, I'm, trying, I'm trying my best to, well, try my, he, we're getting in the, we're not paying attention. God is demonstrating this through the law and the prophets and showing us all the glory and goodness and the weightiness of the, the majesty of who Jesus is so that we can begin to just be with him and understand what he's doing and rest and be formed by God because we've laid aside everything we're doing this is why we go through scripture this is why we study this is why we pray this is why we sing and why we worship is because we're focusing and centering everything around who Jesus is and humbling ourselves so that you and I could just love and enjoy and have a sense that God is here We shouldn't want to move on from that so quickly. It's his love poured into our hearts. It's the light of the knowledge of Christ that gives us a real sense of the glory and majesty of God. Sit in that for a second. If you're starting to see the problem of the law, 
than you're tracking. Well, what do we do? <laughs> if, if all this relative good down here is nothing compared to the majesty and glory and goodness of God that we receive in his grace and through the gospel, what do we do? <laughs> Thankfully, Paul gives us a hint at that. And we're going to talk a little bit about more about this next week. But look what he says in verse 31. He's just like giving us all this goodness. Showed us that God is revealing his righteousness to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, uh, do we overthrow the law by this faith? Like all the to-dos? If I believe that that's what God is doing and I'm, I am humbling myself and I'm trusting him to reveal his character and his goodness and to give me more of his righteousness in and through the person of Jesus Christ, what do we do? <laughs> do we toss it out? I mean, I, I, feel, I, I think that you should kind of think that a little bit. Like, there is a part of you that should be like, yeah, huck it. <laughs> I'm not doing nothing no more. Because <laughs> as soon as I start to do something, I start to project it back on myself and miss out on the goodness of God. <laughs> Toss it out, Paul. And he says in one place, like, I counted all as trash. Like, there's an aspect of the Christian life where we are saying, yes, huck it out. <laughs> but God doesn't just reveal his righteousness to you so that you can sit there. Look at what he says. <laughs> By no means, he says it a lot. Should we sin? By no means. Does this not matter? By no means. You know, it's like a double, like he, he's like, I mean, it's sort of like the, the Greek grammar writing saying, hell no. No. It's, it's meant to be sharp. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What? We up, uh, on the contrary, no, we don't throw it out. We hold it up. And I'm not going to preach next week's sermon because I feel like it's been enough time already. I don't have the screen that tells me, but I feel like it's been enough time. <laughs> God is giving you his righteousness not to make you better, not to bring you from here to here, but to use you, the church, his people, the body of Christ, to demonstrate more of his righteousness. He's given you some talents, like the coins, not the, he's also given you talents. He's given you some things to get a return on that investment but it's his. You're a humble servant. You have nothing to bring to the table. But because he loves you, because he's demonstrated his righteousness to you, because you have faith, you trust in what, he's, what he has given you that you can't achieve yourself. It's not a scale. It's something way beyond that. 
He wants to use that righteousness in you to demonstrate more of that, more of God, more of Jesus in and through you. Your, we think about uh, the old covenant in Jeremiah 31. Now his law is put in our hearts. Now the character and goodness and glory of God is implanted deep in us and not something we're reading and, and sort of doing our best and whipping ourselves and trying to do. He's, he's demonstrating his love and his character to you because necessarily as you humble yourself, as you understand the goodness and the grace and the power of the gospel, it actually makes you different. It makes you different because it's God's righteousness that you're demonstrating, not yours. It makes you different because you're, you have died with him and been buried. And now the life you live, you live in Jesus Christ. Just give you a little hint of where Paul's going with this. Paul says we don't boast, right? We don't boast. He uses the same word. He uses the same word at the end of his gospel, or the end of Romans, Freudian slip. The end of the letter of the Romans, where he explains the gospel. He uses the same word. He goes, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to boast. I have reason to be boasting of my work for God. So I have reason to be boasting for my work for God. And you're like, Paul, you just said we have no reason to boast. Like a bunt, you like very sharply. And here's the hint. It's in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus. We're regularly reminding ourselves that we're not building a tower, that God is demonstrating his righteousness to us from outside of us. It's not something that we can achieve. He's giving that to us. He's united us to his son and he's equipped you then in Christ, in our union with Christ, to mortify the fleshly parts of us that want to put it on ourselves and to renew us into the image of Christ so that we're demonstrating what we're doing and we can boast then in what we do for God in Christ Jesus. And if that sounds complicated to you, that's why there's another sermon for that. <laughs> it's a struggle. <laughs> it's a struggle. But I want you guys to leave this morning thinking about the reality that whatever you're doing, however good you are, however good you're not, however good somebody else is, however good you want to be, that sliding scale is getting you nowhere. And if you begin to understand what God is truly giving to you, not your favorite Bible teacher's righteousness, not that really nice person that you love's righteousness, but the righteousness of the transcendent triune God. That's what he's given you in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray and thank him for that.